When it comes to matters of life and death, people will go to great lengths. There is no mountain too high, no challenge too great, no force too powerful that is not worth facing to protect one's life or the lives of those we love, especially our children. You need me to quit my job, mortgage my house, and give my right kidney for the sake of my child? I wouldn't bat an eye. Our top priority is that wellness and wholeness of those that we love. And so it was for Jairus in today's story. Jairus is this leader of the synagogue, and he is unafraid of putting all of his power and influence on the line to save his daughter's life. Surely he had tried all of the conventional systems of the day, doctors, healers, prayer in the synagogue. And when he heard about Jesus, nothing was going to stop him from making his way to the front of the crowd, pushing past others that were crowding in around Jesus and begging him to save his daughter's life. Isn't that what any loving father would do? But it's not just in life and death circumstances that we use our influence to meet the needs before us. Faced with a health condition, we want the first appointment with the best doctor. Faced with a child with special needs or exceptional gifts, we want the best school and the top teachers. Charged with a crime, we want the best lawyer a money can, money can buy. So when Jairus enters the scene today, we see this man of great influence use every system he has to his privilege and advantage. Jairus is doing what any father would do for his child, but he also has all of the advantages in the community to get exactly what he needs. This leader of the synagogue had likely had financial resources and had an extensive network and power within the community. And knowing that Jesus was another rabbi, albeit a controversial one, Jairus saw him as another resource in his network to address his need. And that day, desperate as he was as a father, I imagine that he never questioned whether or not he could or should or was allowed to approach and speak to Jesus. He just did it. He ran toward him, fell at his feet, and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. And for a man of such esteem, that very act of begging may have been the only point of embarrassment that he experienced. And because Jesus is one who tends to the needs of those right in front of him, he went with Jairus. Not particularly because Jairus was a leader of the synagogue, not because of his power and influence, but because Jesus takes notice of those in need, particularly the life of Jairus's sick 12-year-old baby girl. For Jairus, his daughter was his only priority. For Jesus, caring for one whom God calls beloved is a holy priority. And so off they went toward Jairus' house. 
But while they were on their way to tend to Jairus' sick daughter, the Scripture says that a crowd pressed in on Jesus. And trying to make your way through a crowd where everyone is trying to get a piece of you, that makes travel really slow. And Jairus was in a hurry because the situation was dire, right? You can imagine that Jairus' blood pressure is rising with every step they're taking. Clear a path. It's taking too long. Jesus said he was going to help my child make room we need to get through. In those moments of desperation, tunnel vision sets in, right? The needs of those around him did not matter to Jairus that morning, because with each passing moment, the anxiety rose for his own beloved daughter. And so it was of absolutely no consequence to Jairus that in the midst of this crowd stood a woman whose name we do not know, who, like Jairus, had come that day seeking healing. Like Jairus' daughter, this was a matter of life and death. Like Jairus, she was willing to go to any length to meet Jesus. Her malady had lasted as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive. Her pain was great, and her health was failing. And though she, Scripture says she had some resources when she, was, when she got sick, she had spent them all to no avail, and she had spent the last 12 years in isolation, labeled as unclean, seen only for her disease, prohibited from life in the community. She wasn't supposed to be in the crowd that day because her presence would have made everyone else around her unclean as well. Where Jairus had privilege, she had absolutely none. Where Jairus had resources, hers were depleted. Where Jairus had power, this woman was marginalized and inconsequential in every way. And because Jairus was concerned about the life of his daughter, he was completely unaware of her presence. But Jesus knew. She arrived that day in that crowd with nothing but her faith, this deep conviction that simply touching Jesus' cloak was enough to make her well. She didn't want to interrupt Jesus. She didn't want to cause a scene. She doubted her worth too much to demand anything of him. But somewhere in her faith, she said, if I, could, if I could just reach him, if I could just touch his robe, run my hand on the tassels of his prayer shawl, maybe his prayers could heal me. And so she reached out in faith with all that she had, and Scripture says immediately in that moment, with Jairus anxiously waiting in the wings, her hemorrhage stopped and she felt healed restored, whole again. It was a miracle moment, if we've ever read one. And Mark says that in that moment, Jesus became aware that power had gone forth from him. You know, we speak a lot in the church about Jesus' love, we like to talk about Jesus' mercy and compassion. We feel comfortable thinking of Jesus as a teacher, a good rabbi. We're willing to embrace the idea of Jesus as shepherd and servant. 
But I got to tell you, we're uncomfortable, at least I am, talking about Jesus' power. That watered-down, domesticated Jesus is a whole lot easier to handle than the one who holds the power of God. But throughout the Gospel of Mark, the disciples and the crowds, they're slow to understand who Jesus is. But the demons, the unclean spirits, they're the ones in Mark's Gospel that are quick to recognize him because Jesus is the one with power. The power to heal, the power to free, the power to restore life and make one whole. I suspect that we are afraid of Jesus' power because power can be frightening. Used well, it can be a source of great good. But we don't have to look very far today to see the ways that a hunger for power can corrupt or oppress or marginalize others. And when systems of power are threatened, maintaining that power can become the organization's, the system's not-so-holy priority. The leaders of the synagogue were worried about this. Jesus' power to cast out demons and to heal threatened their power and the structures that kept everything decently and in order, as we Presbyterians would say. And Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman this morning tend to shed light on what happens when human power, the kind of power that's based on influence or status or wealth, privileges some over others. In the midst of a crowd of leaders and peasants alike, Jesus' power this morning stands as a corrective because Jesus' power comes from God and doesn't play by the same rules. So in that moment when the one with societal power, Jairus, expected Jesus to just move on toward his ailing daughter, Jesus stops. The text says, immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? Now, the disciples thought this question was ridiculous, right? In a crowded space with people pressing in on all sides, what an absolutely absurd question. And Jairus certainly thought, why are we stopping? We have places to go. But the woman in this text knew. The power that had gone forth from Jesus didn't just heal this nameless woman. It empowered her. This power that went forth from Jesus gave her a surge of strength, a renewed sense of courage, and recharged her understanding of her own worth. And so like Jairus, she then came before Jesus and she fell down before him and Scripture says she told him the whole truth, which is an act of bravery in and of itself. And through her witness we learn something important about Jesus. We learn that Jesus' power is not a limited commodity to hold on to, but was free to enliven one of God's beloved who had been silenced for 12 long years. By his power, the voiceless, nameless, ostracized woman was not only healed in her body, but in her relationship with the community. 
Where she had been on the margins for so long, the spotlight was suddenly on her. And in that moment, Jesus didn't speak for her. His power enabled her to speak for herself, to tell the whole truth, as Mark puts it. Jesus wasn't going to let her sneak away as quietly as she had come. His healing power wasn't restricted to an idea of physical restoration, but to wholeness together before others. His healing power was to see her fully for who she was, to speak to her with love and endearment. Daughter, he called her, your faith has made you well. Through his ability to see her as beloved, and by her testimony to his power, the whole community then could feel this shift, could feel that something was afoot, something was changing. And in this pinnacle moment in the gospel story, Jesus' power and care was directed to the voiceless, the marginalized, and the powerless. We treat this as a miracle, and yet we probably shouldn't be surprised. When Jesus' ministry began, he knew and proclaimed that God's Spirit was upon him to do what? To bring good news to the poor, to restore sight to the blind, to pr proclaim release to the captives. So we shouldn't be frightened or surprised when Jesus uses his power not just to, to heal, but to do exactly that, give voice to the voiceless and hope to the hopeless. To pause on the way to a synagogue leader's house to give power and voice to someone that absolutely no one in society cared about is a way that Jesus stood up to and transformed our understanding of power. He saw this woman for who she really was. And by listening attentively and speaking with love, this faithful daughter was made well, and the whole community was better for it. But perhaps the most remarkable aspect of Jesus' power is yet to unfold, because the story doesn't end there. More often than not, we assume that power, whether it's political power, social power, even the power of God, that power has limits. To give power to one, to give attention or healing to one, must mean that there is less power to go around elsewhere. And as this scene from Mark zooms back out from the hemorrhaging woman, we remember that Jairus, this anxious father and leader of the synagogue, is still standing there, worried for his daughter's life. Word comes. In fact, the text says that the leaders of Jairus' house interrupt Jesus, which takes some guts, to announce that Jairus' daughter has died. And you can imagine the panic, perhaps the anger Jairus must have felt in that moment. He must have selfishly thought, if, if Jesus had not stopped on the road to tend to this woman of little consequence, my daughter might still be alive. But it's like Jesus knew how Jairus felt because the first thing he says is, don't fear, just believe. 
Jairus still doesn't understand that Jesus' power, the power to heal and free and restore life and make whole, is not a limited commodity. So Jesus proceeds to Jairus' home to care for another of the least of these, this sick 12-year-old little girl. And he entered her home, and despite the crowd's doubtful laughter, Jesus says, little girl, get up. And by Jesus' power, she too was healed. It turns out that there was never a limit to Jesus' power, no reason that healing the hemorrhaging woman prevented him from also healing Jairus' baby girl. And Jairus, this man of great power and privilege, humbly learned an unexpected lesson that day, that Jesus is an incredible steward of God's power. Standing in the face of all of the different power structures of the day, Jesus showed Jairus and the crowds how to live out this call to care for the least of these, to give voice to the voiceless, to use power for freedom and healing. When we think about the ways that these individuals and communities are restored by God's power, I think it invites us to ask ourselves as Christians, how are we to be stewards of that power today? How are we to follow Jesus in a world where the powers of the day often silence or inhibit the healing of those that we're called and we love to call brothers and sisters in Christ? How are we to respond to those matters of life and death with God's healing power? And for that, we look to Jesus as our guide. Jesus didn't put any qualifications on who deserved healing. And so we're charged to think and to believe that everyone is worthy. Jesus listened when a need was named, and so we're charged, too, to listen with fresh ears to those, the needs of those around us. Jesus gave voice to the voiceless, and so we are charged to use our power as a Christian community to help those healing stories be heard. For some of you, that might mean speaking up like the hemorrhaging woman, telling your story before your community, trusting that Jesus calls you daughter or son or child of God. For many of us, it might mean sharing the mic rather than drowning out the voices of those long silenced. But above all, Jesus' healing power transcends our power lines. And so we are charged to take heart that Matthew 25 call to care for the sick, because those in need of healing come from all walks of life. You know, I've always been tickled by the very last detail in this morning's scripture reading. It says, after Jesus had healed Jairus' daughter, he told those gathered to go and give her something to eat. When life is restored, when healing occurs, we're called to use our power and resource to care for, to sustain the lives of those that Christ calls beloved. So whether it's a simple meal or a great gesture of advocacy, whether it's being with others or being for others, 
I think this morning's passage challenges us and charges us to allow Christ's power to work through the body of Christ to bring about the healing of the world. May it be so. Amen.